Teach me about the Great Lakes. Teach me about the Great Lakes. Welcome back to Teach Me About the Great Lakes, a twice-monthly podcast in which I, a Great Lakes novice, ask people who are smarter and harder working than I am to teach me all about the Great Lakes. My name is Stuart Carlton, and I know a lot about walking your son to school in eight-degree weather and forgetting your gloves, at which point you feel the chill deep, deep, deep in your bones, and you start to question things about your life, namely uh, why you forgot your gloves, but I don't know a lot about the Great Lakes, and that's the point of this here podcast. I'm joined today by the amazing, the awesome Megan Gunn. Megan, how are you? I'm good, Stuart. How are you doing? I'm also good. Actually, my hands are warming up. I've, I'm cupping my mug of coffee. I am absorbing its warmth. Um, Way to go. And more importantly, I'm absorbing its caffeine. We're recording early <laughs> this morning, but that's good. I like it. I like it. I don't know what my excuse will be for uh, brain fog, but I'll, I'll come up with one. <laughs> no, but I'm really fired up. So uh, because this is a timely, you know, we like to be a timely show um, always, right? And uh, we have our finger on the pulse of what's going on throughout the Great Lakes. Uh, and so I'm super fired up today because our old friend. So we just had the Lakeys, right? And as we know, I happen to be a Lakey winner. Uh, Megan nominated <laughs> and suggested that I win a Lakey. And who am I to... to uh, override the will of the people. You know, I don't want to do that. We have a, but we have a separate thing that's secret and internal that's not there for public consumption. And that is our guest hall of fame. And that's got, uh, we've got about 50 episodes and it's got about a dozen members. And today we have a hall of famer back on, uh, and that's going to be Stephanie Gondula. She works for the, uh, the Thunder Bay National Marine Sanctuary. And they've got a really cool thing coming up, actually a Lakey nominated, uh, 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 event coming up that we're going to talk all about. But, but beyond that, Stephanie is just really amazing. She has a really cool job. She's a marine archaeologist. Uh, and anytime you can talk to a marine archaeologist, you have to. So let's uh, just head on over there. I got some new tunes that I made over the break. Which one should we do? Let's try this one. guest today is uh, Stephanie Gondula. She's a research coordinator and marine archaeologist at the Thunder Bay National Marine Sanctuary. Stephanie, how are you? I'm doing great this morning, trying to stay warm, just like you. Yeah, I bet. So you're up, uh, you're up in Michigan near the sanctuary. What city are you in? Alpena, Michigan. So just at the northern bit of the lower peninsula of Michigan. Lower? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, so you're right at the tip of the glove. Pretty much, yeah. Right at like the tip of the, at half an inch down from your index finger. The index finger, not the tip of the key finger. Okay. I was, that was the next question, but I'll, I'll avoid that one. Um, all right. So let's have some weather. Come on. I want to live vicariously. Do you have like, we don't get snow here. We just deal with the miserable cold and it never snows. It snows once a year and I take my kids sledding and I almost have a heart attack. And then um, I, I come home and then I say, that was fun. I'm glad it's over, but then it never happens again. So are you all like, do you have feet of snow? I hope. Can I live through you? We do have quite a bit of snow. Um, I was just checking and it has warmed up to nine degrees here this morning in Beautiful Alpena. We had a snow day, so Alpena Public Schools were closed yesterday because of a snow day. So I guess that means we got we got some snow, we got some ice up here. That's fun. Winter sports are fun. Yeah, I was up at Michigan Tech, which I guess is up in the UP, isn't it? And I was like, if you're into winter sports, a place like this, uh, I mean, and going to college and studying all that naturally, but but you know, if you go to college for more than one reason, that could be a reason. 
Well, great. Uh, but that's not why we're here today either. Um, we're here to talk about Thunder Bay and, and, and the film festival coming up. First of all, so for those who, who don't remember your uh, first episode, which was episode 14, tell me about Thunder Bay Marine Sanctuary. That's like a weird thing to hear about because the Great Lakes, I don't know if you know, it's actually one of the things I've learned. Great, what, The Great Lakes are uh, freshwater, freshwater, not marine at all. That's right. Um, but we have a marine sanctuary. So what gives with that? So we really should be called Thunder Bay National Lacustrine Sanctuary, right? <laughs> However, <I'll trust> you. <laughs> one of the uh, very cool things about Thunder Bay is that we're part of a national system, and that's the Office of National Marine Sanctuaries, which has 16 sites all across our beautiful country celebrating and protecting our um, underwater treasures. And those treasures are both um, natural uh, and cultural. So natural being, you know, deep sea canyons, um, massive salt domes in the Gulf of Mexico, humpback whale migration routes, coral reefs, of course. But then you come to the Great Lakes and we focus on America's special cultural resources. Easy way to say that, shipwrecks. We've got lots and lots of shipwrecks. Shipwrecks, yes. Like lots within the sanctuary itself. How many are in the sanctuary? Well, within the 4,300 square miles that encompass the sanctuary. So that's off the, the shores of Northeast Michigan, encompassing three counties. So pretty massive area stretches uh, from the shoreline of Northeast Michigan all the way to the Canadian border. And 4,300 square miles, we have 100 shipwrecks that we've identified and we estimate, this is a really cool thing, and what makes my job super fun, uh, we estimate there's at least that many more to find. So we get to go out and look for shipwrecks. Wow. That was going to be my next question. So how many shipwrecks are in the Great Lakes total then that you know of? So that's a great question that people always ask. And we don't have like a, an exact answer, of course, because we're still looking. But the estimates I've heard uh, from other archaeologists and historians are anywhere from six to 10,000. Wow. Now, hold on one second. Stephanie, that was good. That was real good. But just one second before you give us that. It's a Great Lakes factoid. A Great Lakes factoid. It's a great factoid about the Great Lakes. Now, what was that again? <laughs> we estimate, um, archaeologists and historians in the Great Lakes estimate there's anywhere between six to 10,000 uh, shipwrecks in, in all five of the lakes. That's been a thing that since I moved here has, has been the most eye-opening for me. And it's so obvious once you think about it, but everything's obvious once you think about it. Uh, you know, it never really occurred to me what huge just shipping and boating and, and you know, went on in this area. And in, in many ways, it's the big story of the, the, you know, the we talked a lot about, never actually did a book club on uh, Death and Life of the Great Lakes, but there he talks about the, you know, the maritime stuff a lot in, in terms of introductions of aquatic invasive species, but also shipwrecks. So most of those are shipping vessels. Is that uh, primarily what they are? Well, all of them that we've identified in Thunder Bay National Marine Sanctuary, so in Northern Lake Huron, are indeed those commercial vessels, which, you know, attest and, and point to exactly what you were talking about, that, you know, the lots of traffic, uh, uh, building America's economy really back in the 19th century. And so it's the the shipping. And so schooners and, and steamers that were very like are the semi-trucks and the, the trains on the interstate and the train tracks today. Um, now, there are some more vessels, particularly in uh, Lake Ontario, which, very interestingly, there is a proposed National Marine Sanctuary. Um, this is also uh, breaking, not breaking news, but but late news. Um, some of the latest in the Great Lakes as far as marine protected areas. Just in June of this year, the second freshwater National Marine Sanctuary was designated 
For many years, Thunder Bay was the only freshwater national marine sanctuary. Now we we are still the first, um, but we're not the only anymore. So you'll always be the first. We'll always take I'm not going to give that one up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but off the shores of um, uh, middle Wisconsin, so off the shores of two rivers in Sheboygan and Manitowoc, uh, is uh, the Lake uh, Michigan, it's Wisconsin Shipwreck Coast National Marine Sanctuary, and designated for very similar reasons to why Thunder Bay was designated, and that's to protect those um, fragile shipwreck sites that are so well preserved here in the cold fresh water. And if I'm remembering from the last time we talked to you, these are open to the public to go and explore, correct? That's exactly right, and that's one of the 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 aspects about this particular marine protected area, in fact, all of the national marine protected areas within the system that we really celebrate, and that's accessibility. We are, even though it's called a sanctuary, which, you know, at first you might think that it's closed off and, and no one's allowed to come, but we we celebrate accessibility and people visiting these sites because, as Jacques Cousteau said, uh, people protect what they love. And how are you going to love someone, something or someone <laughs> if you can't really, you know, connect with it. And best way to connect with these historical um, artifacts, these shipwrecks is to snorkel to them, to take your stand up paddleboard out to a buoy. You can see through the clear, fresh water, or of course, scuba dive um, to these shipwreck sites. So super accessible, even a glass bottom boat. Once this COVID stuff's over, that's why I don't dive. I mean, I scuba or not scuba. What's the snorkel? Snorkel. snorkel. But um, <laughs> glass bottom boat. That sounds that sounds my speed. So here's my question: You're a big diver. You've done the big five dive. Which if people want to hear all about that, go to teachmeaboutthegreatlakes.com/slash one four fourteen. That's where um, Stephanie and our good friend Megan Goss talked about uh, the big five dive. But but how many of the shipwrecks in the sanctuary have you? Oh, I screw this up every time. Duvet upon or whatever it is. Dovin. Right. <laughs> well, I like yeah. that. Duvet. You know, it's, what's funny is I switch it up every time. And I, I say these sentences all the time. And sometimes I say dive. Sometimes I say dove. Scuba dove. Scuba dive. Scuba dove. I have scuba. visited via scuba um, all of the wrecks that we have mooring buoys on because that's a big part of what our dive team does, which is go out and, and deploy these mooring buoys, which are seasonal. So we got to put them out there and then bring them back in. Uh, so we we maintain these buoys on over 40 shipwreck sites. Uh, so I visited all of those and and then probably a handful of others. I, I of course, keep good records in my dive log. But um, yeah, so I'd like to say lots of the, the shipwrecks we have, but not all of them. I, I'm not a technical diver uh, like many of the folks that do travel from all over the world to dive some of our deeper sites. Uh, so the deepest I've gone is about 140. Um, the deepest shipwrecks we have, though, you know, upwards of 300 feet deep that people wow. with really, you know, highly trained that's really deep i don't again i don't know so that's that's real deep that's real deep that's really really deep so if you think about the the um environment and the pressures that you have to withstand not to mention the cold that you experienced this morning walking your son to school um those are serious environmental pressures that you have to learn and how to deal with and be very very trained and then equipment changes as well (laughs) yeah all the snorkeling i've done has been like in the gulf of mexico and uh that's just nice it's not cold at all nice no it's not Yep. Yeah, it's nice and warm, so you can see the sharks coming to attack you as they. Uh, yeah, it's good. <laughs> right, Megan, you 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 do some diving, right? Are you? Uh, so I know you you do like research diving, but but have you gone to big depths or have you done shipwrecks? No, What's your... um, well, I, I have done a shipwreck, um, but I think that they placed it there. I don't think that it was a natural shipwreck. But the deepest I've gone is maybe maybe eighty feet. I'm only an open water diver, so I can't go too deep. Um, but one day, one day I'll be advanced. But you do you do need to know you have to have that training because the bins are 
I'm sure are not fun. I've never had them. Um, but yeah, no, thank you. I'll wait. <laughs> <laughs> well, the cool thing about the sanctuary, Megan, is you could come here and as many of our shipwrecks are like in 20 feet, 40 feet, 50 feet that are super. Oh, and so this summer I'll do it this summer. Good. <laughs> no, we need to make a trip. Yeah. We need to make a trip. And so y'all are fully open and everything like with COVID stuff is, or, or maybe you're not fully open. What is the, what is the, so people now they're listening. They're like, I've got to go soon. Um, what is your status? The status of the, our visitor center, which is amazing. Um, you know, 10,000 square feet of interactive exhibits. It's free open year round. However, we're pretty cautious with the NOAA, so we're actually still closed right now, um, but expecting, uh, I mean, by the summer when you guys come up, you guys, you know what you could do? You could do a podcast from the exhibits with the ship, the full life-size ship right behind you with the thunder yeah. crashing. That would be really cool. I don't know that this summer is the summer of that, but that, that is on the list. <laughs> um, I just mean because of my family situation, but <laughs> but yes, you've convinced me. Um, I will write that on the list of, of awesome. cool ideas. I love it. Okay. But you're hoping by this summer, obviously nobody knows, but, but hopefully uh, uh, by this summer, the, cause it does sound like a great visitor center. And since I do have all these kids, uh, they'll want to see that. Absolutely. Or I'll want to make them see that even if they don't want to see it. And they love it. The kids, what's cool about it, it's very hands-on, you know, you, you can climb on the schooner, you know, pull on the rigging. Um, there's a slide that makes you feel like you're scuba diving. And it's also the, the launch point for the glass bottom boat. So. There we go. Done and done and done. Um, and one of the cool things about your diving is, is that big five dive. And what I know about it is there's a neat film that you can view. Um, and again, if you go listen to episode 14, you hear all about it. But I think that film was originally part of this film festival. Is, is that correct? And so uh, professionally segueing into the ninth annual, ninth annual Thunder Bay Film Festival. The tenth. Oh, hold on. I was looking at the old website. Let me update my notes. The 10th annual, which is nine plus one. Thunder Bay Film Festival. Tell me about this film festival. How did how did this come about? It's such a cool idea. You know, this is one of the, the most fun parts of our jobs here at the Marine Sanctuary is, you know, reaching out to that waterway, the global waterway that we're all connected to, right? The Great Lakes, as you guys know, you, you talk about this on your show all the time. This, you know, it's a very important part of our water system on the planet. Very important ecosystem. Um, 20% of the world's uh, fresh water surface supply. So we know that. So it's, we, we got to remind our audiences, we got to remind ourselves that it's an important place and that what we do every day here in the Great Lakes does affect our, um, our ocean um, ecosystem. And so we partner with the International Ocean Film Festival, which is the longest running of its kind. I believe it's in its 19th year this year. And they curate um, hundreds and hundreds of submissions every year from the latest in ocean filmmaking. And so they they do all the hard work. You know, they get, they jury the, these films and they, they, they call out and they, they pick the top, they pick the best. And then we, get that whole package and we show um near I think there's like 70 plus films this year from from the San Francisco International Ocean Film Festival collection and then we add uh some Great Lakes content of course and so it's a great way to celebrate being a part of the National Marine Sanctuary system because we show films from other National Marine Sanctuaries but also a great way to to show all that ocean content so really anything you can think about that might a theme that might be covered in an ocean film festival We've got a film for it. So sharks, surfing, climate change, ocean acidification, sea level rise, aquaculture, the list goes on and on. Is this something that people can only see in person or is there a virtual way that we can watch it? Well, it is virtual. The last two years, you know, just for some reason, we decided to go virtual. (laughs) (laughs) 
we, it has been in person since 2012 and it's been, a, I mean, it's Jan, we do it every January in Alpena. And so Alpena is a cold snowy town in the winter and it's such a great um, activity to do. It's almost a week long when we're in person, right? Almost a week long and people can come to the visitor center. We have a hundred seat theater and of course we have popcorn and we have um, receptions and parties and, and filmmakers come and talk about their films. Scientists come and share the science that's, that's covered in the films. So the in-person event is super cool. You don't want to miss that in January of 2023. However, this year, and then last year we did our first virtual and, you know, at, at first when I was planning the virtual Last year, I, I was a little sad that we wouldn't be able to do the in-person, but it turned out to be really amazing being virtual, as you know, with your program that, that can reach all corners of the globe. Um, that's what we found. We found people uh, joining the virtual film fest from, from Brazil, from Russia, wow. from literally all over the world. So we were able to, to reach people that may never visit the Great Lakes, that may never even know about the Great Lakes. So virtual has its has its you know has its benefits, and so in going forward, we will likely always do a hybrid now. But but next year we're going to have some good uh, film fest parties for you guys to come in January of twenty three. It's going the wrong way in January. I'll be honest. You're supposed <laughs> to go south, but but we'll look into it. So so how does the virtual thing work? Is it like um, uh, is there a certain time where the films? Because you have I don't know how many films you have a half a dozen or a dozen or something. I would guess. And, uh, and so do they stream at a certain time or is it like you have a window? What is, what is that? It's a window. It's definitely a window. And we've got dozens and dozens of films, actually. Dozens and dozens. Oh, I stand corrected. Okay. I haven't even done the full count yet, but I'm looking at at least 70 films, um, wow. which is super cool. Now, these films are not all feature length, of course. So some of them are five minutes long. Some are 15 minutes long. Um, but the content, so much amazing content there. So lots and lots of films. And there's a window of time. Uh, so January 26th through February 6th, and you can buy your tickets right now, which is super cool. Go to thunderbayfriends.org and get your, I recommend the Thunder Pass, which gives you all access. It's a hundred bucks, gives you access to everything. Or if you want to just see a couple films, um, they're 10 to $12 each, depending. So kind of like going to the, the regular movies. And um, what's another very convenient thing is it's really similar to Netflix. So let's say you start, you know, a two and a half hour long surfing film. And you want to take a break or you want to finish it the next day or you want to watch it over again, you have access to whatever films you've, you've um, signed up for or purchased throughout that whole 12 days. Here we go. All right. So I'm at, yep. All right. Thunderbayfriends.org. We'll put a link to this in the show notes, which if I can count is at teachmeaboutthegreatlakes.com slash four nine, because this is episode 49. Um, oh, and I'm there now. And you have a whole, oh, you have a, a film catalog. Yeah. yeah Thunderpass. That's the way to go. That's the way to around. Yeah. And if you click on that film catalog, the film guide, it's yeah. going to pop up just like Netflix. It has like little movie poster looking things. And then you click on those. And if there's a trailer available with the film, you can, even though it's, it hasn't started yet, because it's, you know, it starts on the 26th, you still can watch trailers. You can read about the films. You can kind of plan your festival experience. Oh yeah. And you have these great, so I watched the overall trailer but to prepare for this, but I hadn't really, I didn't really dig through this, but you have, yeah, different programs, things like, uh, um, films about the national marine sanctuaries, female director program. That sounds interesting to really make sure that you're focusing on amazing films from diverse voices, whales. Oh, I'm going to have to do that one. Yeah, you're right. So this is cool. So it's a window. You go to the website, hundred bucks. That's, that's really, that's, that's a good deal for all of this. Well, and it's, it does support the, the Friends of Thunder Bay National Marine Sanctuary, which is the nonprofit that supports our missions here at the Marine Sanctuary. So 
it all goes to a good cause and it's 12, 12 days of film fun. Yeah. That's like 10 bucks a day. Yeah. I spend that just on hair product. Yeah. <laughs> that's cool. And is there a student film competition this year too? Oh yes. I'm so glad you asked. Cause that's one of the coolest things. So student film competition is in its seventh year this year. And in fact, um, our good friend, Megan, who was in the big five dive with me, who was on um, episode 14, is that 14, I think, or I'm sending everybody to the wrong place, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're all good. They're all good shows. Uh, she, she helped launch that student film competition, which let me tell you, of course she did. Yep, of course <laughs> she did. Megan's awesome. yeah. She's awesome. Uh, which, you know, you might think of what can, you know, some high school students really produce when it comes to filmmaking. And every single year, I am just so impressed. Some have brought me to tears. They're, they're awesome. And so we have um, a good partnership with the local high school here, Alpena High School, and some dedicated uh, instructors have made it an assignment and made it part of their coursework oh, to, awesome. yeah, to submit a film, which really makes it a big difference. Because especially in these times, it's kind of, you want to help as much as you can the students and, and, the, and the instructors. And so we've just got the submissions in and we have every year up until actually this year, we've had a specific theme for the film festival for the student competition. So we, we would change it. So the first year it was hashtag water is, and then it was um, hashtag biodiversity is. And, and so the students would get to, you know, make a film based on that theme and, they did a great job of that. And then this year we changed it to science in the sanctuary. And we wanted students to really explore, you know, what sanctuary means to them. So it could be based in Thunder Bay National Marine Sanctuary. It could be set in any of the other 15 National Marine Sanctuary sites, or it could be just what a sanctuary is to you. Um, so there's prizes. Um, people can, students can enter from all over the world. So if you, you miss the deadline this year, there'll be a student competition next year. So there's opportunities for ninth through 12th graders to submit a film, a short film. And now I, I imagine the quality only goes up like as technology just becomes, I think about what we had to do. So some buddies of mine uh, and I made a film, I won't tell you the, all the details. Well, it was called all stopped up in high school. I was actually not really part of it. These are film. One of these guys ended up working in Hollywood. The other one is an attorney. And it was about a guy with a bad case of constipation. Um, but I won't go into all the details, um, uh, but yep, you're welcome. But making that film was a big challenge because it was all VHS tapes and stuff like that. And so, right. And now with the, oh my God, I've never sounded older. Never mind. I'm going to just end this conversation right now. Um, <laughs> making all stuffed up will be a lot easier now. I guess that's all I have to say. That's cool. I'm super fired up. Yeah. So everybody just go to thunderbayfriends.org, um, and, uh, and, um, and get your thunder pass. It's, it's not that. It's not that hard. And this sounds really great. I'm sorry, Stuart. But I just want to mention, before I forget, you can watch those student films. You can watch the winners and the, the, I think the top three, if I remember correctly, in each um, year uh, and take a look at some of those winners, which just are, you you would be impressed. So um, there's links at thunderbayfriends.org to the- Oh, is there really? Okay. Huh. Well, I'm going to put those links in the show notes. Yeah. Once I find them, I'll dig them up and find them. And you know what I'll do? This has inspired me. I'm going to post the winners of each year on our Facebook page, the Sanctuary's Facebook page. Great. And we'll have links to that too. Uh, I don't have a Facebook, but I'll make sure that uh, the people who do get it posted or get it figured out for me. So that's cool. Well, awesome. Awesome. All right. Um, Thunder Bay Film Festival. And this, so if, if I got my math right, we're releasing this episode on the 17th so of January, which is what, just a, a week or so before the film festival premieres. So uh, no time like the present, kids. Um, go get your Thunder Pass and, and get ready. Maybe we'll have a, 
Uh, yeah, I'll tell you what, right now, uh, tweet at us if there's a film you really liked, and maybe we can have a conversation online about it. That'll be fun. Is there like a film festival hashtag? Is that a thing? I'm so bad at social engagement. Hope We needed hope on for this, but let's pretend that I'm not. Uh, and, and are y'all doing some of the uh, engagement stuff? Or? For sure. We're, we're doing our best. We're doing hashtag pure Michigan because everything's pure Michigan and, and super cool. Um, and then hashtag TBIFF for Thunder Bay International Film Festival. And then um, Thunder Bay Shipwrecks is another good one. But I think TBIFF, um, get into your sanctuary is another hashtag we use hearkening back to that you know accessibility and we, we want people to enjoy and, and recreate and get out on the water and in the water under the water yeah so that's those are our hashtags and they're all i forgot to mention there will be some live uh q a's um, i've got three scheduled right now um but there'll be a, a probably five to six live q a's with filmmakers and uh scientists uh, that you can um, watch in real time or they'll be recorded as well Will those will those be during the day when I can watch or at night when I'm I have uh, other duties during the day I can pretend I'm working. They are. I think most of them will be at night. Okay. Um, sorry, Mike. Then I'll watch the recordings. No That's right. They will be recorded. Yeah, that sounds good. So, what about accessibility? Think about that with diving. It just occurred to me that that's a diving. So shifting back less professionally this time, um, <laughs> more more how my brain actually works. Uh, so so uh, accessibility and diving. That's kind of a it, is there something you can do to make your the shipwrecks more accessible to broader audiences? Maybe people who don't dive or who, right. who can't dive for various reasons. Um, is that a thing or no? That's the best question ever. Excellent question. Uh, because that's what we're all about. Because you're 100% right. As Megan knows, 1% of the population scuba dives. You know, whether, I mean, most people are smart enough to not want to, to know that we do not breathe underwater. <laughs> um, foolish people like Megan and I like to do it anyway. But most people, you know, don't scuba dive. And so how do we bring these shipwrecks to to the public and, you know, engage them and, um, uh, you know, get their investment in wanting to protect them? And with technology, like we were talking with the filmmaking technology, it's, it's very similar. We have techniques now, technology to bring the shipwrecks to the people, virtual virtual experiences. Um, if you look on the sanctuaries.noaa.gov website, they have a 360 page where there's some 360 videos where you literally can dive. You, you can use the goggles, which are super cool too, but you don't have to. And you literally can experience what it's like to dive through a shipwreck or through coral reefs. Um, uh, and, and you can look all around just like 360 virtual tour. So there's that way to bring it to the people. Um, there's also virtual still images. Um, we've, you know, we document these shipwrecks and monitor. So we continue to document them throughout time. And then we, we can bring those, those, those images and videos to the people. And then what really engages people is the stories of the shipwrecks, right? I mean, the images are striking and compelling, of course, but the, the stories of the people, you know, everyday people like, like us who, who lived and, and thrived on the Great Lakes, you know, the, the, the shipwrecks that went down tell the stories of the, the tragic few that did lose their lives, but they also tell the stories of the thousands and thousands that, you know, made that they're living and lived to an old age and they're, experiences their history is not necessarily recorded in our history books 
And so that's what's compelling to a lot of people um, about these shipwrecks is that human element, human story. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm, at, I'm there now at, the, at the, the virtual tour stuff. That's really cool. A lot of pictures. And that idea of telling those stories, that's, that's really neat because you're right. Nobody else is doing that. That occurred to me. You know that um, there's a goofy Twitter account, Lake Superior or whatever. Um, and the whole deal is it's like a snarky uh, embodiment of the lake. And, and um, <laughs> But on the day of the Edmund Fitzgerald, it just tweets out all the names um, of the people who died. And and Edmund Fitzgerald, you know, doesn't mean squat to me, but but in thinking about it, it wasn't that long ago, right? And and so there there are some people for whom it's really still probably a live issue, uh, and that really got me thinking about this idea of right, you know, sh- shipwrecks aren't just things to dive, but but they're people's history and, and people's lives, and and, and that, that was really powerful to think about. Yeah, they're grave sites for a lot. Many of them are grave sites, and um, of course, uh, they demand respect and the you know that was Fitzgerald was 1975 so I don't not you guys probably weren't I know you weren't alive I was, I was almost born yeah I, I was born in well, I'm not going to say when but it was 1978 and so um okay. yeah yeah but but right so that's basically roughly in my lifetime yeah right right and so you know I, I that reminds me of a short a story I want to share just real quick about uh people that are connected to this history you know you're right you think about it well it's you know over 100 years ago who is alive these days in 2017 uh, the sanctuary and partners discovered two shipwrecks um, the Ohio and the Choctaw and both deep deep shipwrecks 300 feet deep and we announced the discovery it was great exciting research project Um, couldn't do it without our partners and I got an email not long after our announcement um, of this really nice lady her name is Diane and she said that her aunt was remembers the captain, Captain Fox of the Choctaw, talking about the sinking. He and the crew survived the sinking of the Choctaw. And she remembers her her grandpa, she was a little girl, talking about this sinking. And she was so excited. She hadn't been to the sanctuary. So it was Aunt Ruth. Um, she, I think, was 92 in 2017. And she came and, and visited and talked with our historians. What a neat connection and really making it, it really brought it to life. Well, great. This is uh, really fascinating stuff, Stephanie, and I'm so glad. Oh, wait, we just had a visitor. Uh, That's my obnoxious (laughs) black cat, Sebastian. Oh, black cats are the best cats. Um, so, no, that's all great. Anyway, not on the podcast. Sorry, listeners at home. Uh, you don't get the full VIP experience um, that we get when we're actually doing the recording. That that's, uh, that's stinks for you. Awesome for me. <laughs> anyway, all this is actually really interesting stuff, Stephanie. I'm so glad to hear about it. Love to hear about the sanctuary and the film festival and, of course, diving and things like that. But that's actually not why we invited you here on Teach Me About the Great Lakes this week. Oh, the reason we invited you on is to ask you two questions. Uh And the first one we had an answer for, but I'm curious as to whether or not it's changed. And that is this. If you could have a great donut for breakfast or a great sandwich for lunch, which would you choose? Without a doubt, a great sandwich for lunch. Still going sandwich. All right. And so when I'm in Alpena, I'm there for the Thunder Bay Film. No, I'm not there for the film festival because that's in January. I'm there over the summer. It's inside, Stuart. We we watch the movie inside a warm theater. Inside. (laughs) That'd be intense, actually. You could have a special outdoor track. (laughs) thought about it. (laughs) You pay people, though. It'd be opposite, right? Uh, But anyway, all right. So I'm there in Alpena either over the summer or in January or, you know, because there are other seasons, too. Uh, Anyway, and I want to get a good sandwich. Where should I go and what should I get? You know, that's a tough one because we have some amazing sandwich places, amazing lunch places here. We're not a big city. 
I, you know, I, about 10,000 people live here, but we've got some great choices for food. So I don't know if I can pick just one. What comes to mind is the Hungry Hippie doesn't necessarily have sandwiches, but they have um, bowls like rice bowls and Buddha bowls and yummy, yummy, flavorful stuff with this garlic sauce. Um, but then the Fresh Palette is one of my favorite places right downtown where you can get super healthy, tasty food. They change their menu all the time. So I would get a sandwich there. And then, of course, there's Austin Brothers Brewing Company, which if you're going to go to lunch and you don't have to work the rest of the day, that's a great place to go. Their burgers are awesome. So there's choices. So why in a town of 10,000, which is one seventeenth the size of the greater Lafayette area, do you have more good sounding restaurants than we have in this entire city? <laughs> We're a special place, man. <laughs> you are? You are. I, I agree. This is my ongoing uh, uh, two things about West Lafayette, Lafayette. One, why can't we get some snow? Because we got the cold. Just give us the snow, too. And two, can we, just one, just one good restaurant. Um, I would like one good restaurant. Uh, it will happen though. The thing is we're growing and one of these days, uh, we'll, we'll get a good restaurant. No, I'm just kidding. We have plenty of good restaurants, but those, those, all three of those sound good. All right. Second question. I mean, this has changed since last time you were on. I can't remember what we asked you before, but, but now we'd like to ask our guests, uh, is there like a, and maybe you can make this dive relevant. Um, is there like a, a special place in the great lakes, um, you want to share with our audience and what makes it, you know, special to you? Oh my goodness. So I'm not from the Great Lakes. And so on the one hand, I think I can answer that. I mean, I might be able to offer a different perspective. On the other hand, I also don't know a lot of places that native Great Lakes people do. But the first place that pops into my mind is 40 Mile Point, which is just a few miles north of Rogers City, Michigan. So as I sit right here in Alpena, it's like a half hour drive. And it is, it was actually featured in the big five dive. And what's amazing about 40 mile point, it's like a perfect maritime heritage classroom. It has a beautiful lighthouse, 40 mile point lighthouse, which you can climb lighthouse keepers quarters, um, an actual wheelhouse from a, a great lakes freighter sits there on the, on the sand. It has a foghorn signal building and then really cool to bring it back to shipwrecks, which I just can't help. There's a uh, remains of a a wooden freighter on the beach. And then the rest of that freighter is out in the lake a couple hundred yards. Um, It's about 18 feet deep. Great. That's where I take you, Megan, when you come to dive is to the the shipwreck Joseph S. Fay off of 40 mile point. And then on top of all that um, uh, cultural heritage that's that's right there in your face at 40 mile point. It's a beautiful forested uh, a pine area. There's, there's trails through the woods and then a gorgeous beach. Looks, I swear, it looks like the Caribbean. Nice sandy beach with um, aquamarine colors. 40 Mile Point off the shores of Northeast Michigan's my answer. Very cool. We will write that down and you can check that out in the uh, show notes. And you've, you've, you've dove in there and it sounds like Megan will too, hopefully yeah. this summer. <laughs> That's the promise. That's the promise. We'll check in Good. every year or two. We'd like to have you on Stephanie. So we'll check in and, and uh, yeah, but it's, it's been a tough, tough couple of years. It has a little bit. But, Diving's a good COVID activity. Like even, even if things, oh, I don't even want to say it. Um, but so even over this winter where we're concerned about stuff, it's, it's a good thing to do. Have you done any cool dives like during COVID? Yeah, I, I kept diving quite a bit. So I, um, I was very fortunate to do some um, travel um, responsibly and uh, got to dive very far outside the Great Lakes. Um, oh, wait, hold on. I forgot. There's a way I got to do this. Hold oh. on. So do you have, how many, how many places do you have you want to tell us about? I'll tell you about two. 
your top two, your top two COVID dives. All right. So we're going to go drum roll. But I feel bad they're not in the Great Lakes. So I feel like I should choose. I don't care. No, this is Stephanie's top two places. Okay. We have an international audience okay. um, beyond just the U.S. and Canada. So it's okay. They'll want to know. All right. So we're going to do a drum roll. You're going to name it. Then we're going to have like a symbol. And then you're going to tell us about it. It's a complicated Whew. dance that uh, I always, <laughs> it. it's always right. Um, and it never works out. And I'm always like, why do you make this so hard Stuart? you moron? But, uh, and then I, instead of learning, which is what some people would do, I just figured next time we'll get it right. Okay. So uh, we'll do them in, in countdown order. So the number two best place uh, to dive for Stephanie Gondola during COVID is. Cuba gardens of the queen. <laughs> Cuba. Oh, like the Cuba? Like the country of Cuba. And actually, oh. maybe that wasn't fair because we went right, we went in February of 20. So maybe that's, it's like right before everything. No, no, it counts. It counts. It's a, we're getting global audience. No, that's good. So tell me about Cuba Gardens of the Queen. So it's a, a another protected area, a beautiful coral reef. Uh, and because of the level of protection, it has, it's a coral reef that ha- does not look like many of the other world's coral reefs, which are bleached. Um, and you know, a lot less, uh, fish life. And this is just a, a vibrant, beautiful place. You get to, uh, dive with sharks, which is awesome. Silky sharks and reef sharks, and also got to snorkel with a, um, a crocodile. No way. No, he's an alligator. Now I just confused myself. <laughs> a, a toothy reptile. I got to snorkel yes. with. <laughs> did it try to eat you? If it tried to eat you, it might've been a crocodile. <laughs> he did uh, not. He's friendly. Well, you know, wow. super social, but yeah. I mean, I only have one arm now, but the thing is who needs right. to, right. Right? yeah. All right. And the number, number one place, according to Stephanie Gondula to dive during COVID, I will point at you when we're ready. Thunder Bay National Marine Sanctuary. For the win, Thunder Bay over uh you have what was it dozens and dozens of shipwrecks up to i, I can't remember the number it's about 100 was that right yeah that's that's about right yeah yeah and and everything ranging from glass bottom boats for total beginners like me you're snorkeling for people who can swim i can swim of course and uh all the way up to just expert technical diving and um yeah what is your favorite place to dive in th- like do you dive the same site over and over is that a thing or do you like the novelty well a little of both. Um, like I mentioned, we do put those mooring buoys out. So we, we go back to those same 40 plus sites every year. You know, I, I guess I do visit a lot of, I'd like to visit some of the ones I haven't. Um, I guess it just, it comes down to the necessity to getting there and all that. So a favorite site in Thunder Bay, I might have to go back to my favorite place in all the great lakes. Oh, actually I'm going to amend that. My favorite dive site in Thunder Bay which is actually just outside Thunder Bay proper. So Thunder Bay, you know, is out of Alpena. Um, it's like 10 miles long, 10 miles wide, uh, big bay. And just outside of it is a shipwreck called the Montana, which is uh, about 65 feet deep. I, I love it because it's a, it's a uh, site that's not super deep. You know, recreational divers like Megan can go and visit it, but it still has a ton of relief. It has a 30 foot high um, engine still standing upright it's super cool it has a massive 10 foot diameter propeller just you know that it's sitting there on its keel um two things i'll mention i love about it 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 has burbot so so there's always a nine times out of ten there's big burbot hanging out there 
And I swear it's the same one. I swear it's one of my buddies is down there every time. <laughs> and then I do like that it's named Montana, which many ships in the Great Lakes were um, because I happen to be from Montana. Oh, there we go. Well, that's great. So Burbit was one of the high picks. We recently drafted fish um, because, you know, you got to draft fish and, and Burbit was a high pick. They're the ones who sing during intimate moments. I did um, not know we'll this. Say. Yep. <laughs> yes, they do. Uh, <laughs> so you can listen to that draft with uh, Titus Seilheimer and, of course, the wonderful Katie O'Reilly. Um, wow. I'll put a link in the show notes. It was about three episodes ago. Yeah. And um, the Shipwreck in Montana, that is also good. So we'll put links to that in the show notes. We'll also put links. So we spoke with Kathy Green a few episodes ago episode 37 of the uh, Wisconsin Maritime Museum. And she talked a lot about diving and sort of the cool thing about the Great Lakes being how well everything is preserved, um, which is not guaranteed, especially as the lakes change, I think. But uh, anyway, so go check that out at teachmeaboutthegreatlakes.com slash 37. And then we asked her who else we should talk to and she recommended you. And I said, well, we already, we've already done that. We'll do it again. <laughs> anyway. Kathy's awesome. She's been my dive buddy before. There you go. There you go. Great. Well, uh, Stephanie uh, Gondula, the research coordinator and marine archaeologist with the Thunder Bay National Marine Sanctuary, uh, but more importantly to our purposes today, the uh, host, the, the, the I don't know what's your coordinator. coordinator? Yeah. Coordinator of the 10th, not the 9th. That's old news. The 10th annual Thunder Bay Film Festival. Uh, go get yourself a Thunder Pass, people. Just do it. Listen to these or watch these films, and uh, it should be a lot of fun. But anyway, Stephanie. Thank you for coming on and teaching us all about the Great Lakes. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. And the next time I see you, I hope it's in Alpena. I agree. I agree. Well, it's always a lot of fun talking to Stephanie, and she really is one of the Hall of Fame guests, just super engaging and fun. And I'm fired up about this film festival, I think. Yeah, I am. I'm ready to watch all of the the small videos and then when my brain is ready to watch the longer videos. <laughs> That's the thing is they have <laughs> pandemic length videos, right? Right. And so you can start with the little five minute ones and then, uh, you know, if you were able to pay attention to a full 15 or 20 minute film <laughs> or longer, um, depending on where you're at in your mm-hmm. own particular uh, uh, journey. Uh, they have those available too. And it looks like a lot of really cool stuff. I love that they do this. I'm actually, I'm mm-hmm. completely jealous. Uh, I want to steal the idea for the Great Lakes Sea Grants uh, programs, which of course we wouldn't ever do. But yeah, but getting the students involved from around the world, that's amazing. Yep. No, that's really great. That's really great. And of course, Megan Goss was involved in it. When she said mm-hmm. that, I was like, yep, yep, duh, duh, yep. duh. <laughs> uh, the least surprising thing ever. Well, uh, before we get to the end, if people want to find out more about what you do, Megan, where should where should they go? You can find me on Instagram at the Familiar Faces Project, and you can find me on Twitter at underscore TFFP. And then there is a website, thefamiliarfacesproject.org, that will be updated soon. Um, it just wrapped up our summer research program that we were, I guess I was coordinating for the last couple of years. Um, we don't have funding for that anymore. And so it's now time to update it with some new, fresh information. There we go. What kind of stuff do y'all do in your summer research program? Anything and everything. Um, my favorite part was that these are stu- the students that are participating are students that have really never had a chance to do research before. Um, and so they learned all about the research project process. They got to learn um, about extension and outreach. We actually worked with, I'm going to call her a Hall of Famer um, teacher, um, Abby Bymaster. Oh, definite Hall of Famer. Yep. They, my students worked with her high school students, um, her, her biology students, 
and each of the groups got to work with a group of high school students and teach them about whatever that they were their research was focusing on. And so there was a group that was focusing on trees and they actually did soil composition. Um, we had a group that was focusing on mammals. And so the students learned how to do mammal tracks or they like they made mammal track molds and then they went to go and identify the tracks that they could find around the school. We had a group that was um, focusing on stream ecology. And so her students went down and they got to um, look for macroinvertebrates or aquatic insects in the in the stream. And it was just it was just a lot of fun. And they the students at the end, their student, her students had to present um, what they learned to the rest of the class in a project type form. Some put together little videos, um, some put together posters, and they're just, they're so creative. And I don't think that my classmates were that creative when I was in high <laughs> <school>. <laughs> One thing that's great about working at a university and working with younger students is it really, it, it, it's really inspiring. And I do <laughs> feel like you're right, that level of creativity just seems to increase over time. Oh, or maybe yeah. what it is, as I get older, I get more stodgy and set in my ways and less creative. I like to prefer to think about the other. I think they're getting better. I remain amazing. They're even more amazing. <laughs> they're just That's even how, better. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. Well, uh, that sounds awesome. Shall we do the credits? Yes. Teach Me About the Great Lakes is brought to you by the fine people at Illinois Indiana Sea Grant. We encourage you to check out the great work we do at iicgrant.org and at ILINC Grant on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media. Teach Me About the Great Lakes is produced by Hope Charters, Carolyn Foley, Megan Gunn, and Rini Miles. Ethan Chitty is our associate producer and fixer. Our super fun podcast artwork is by Joel Davenport. The show is edited by the awesome Quinn Rose, and I encourage you to check out her work at aspiringrobot.com. If you have a question or comment about the show, please email it to teachmeaboutthegreatlakes at gmail.com or leave a message on our hotline at 765-496-IISG. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Teach Great Lakes. Thanks for listening and keep grading those lakes. Are you going to do a, a, a big five dive again? Or was that a one and done? That was a one, one and done. done. It, it was kind of miserable. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded like it. I remember thinking, I mean, you want to do it to do it, right? Right. Um, yeah. It's like there's a like a, a fancy ice cream place in New Orleans. And, and they have one thing where if you eat all eight scoops, you get it for free. And so me and my dad and brother did that once. And, you know, uh, you do it to do it. But you never want to do it a second time. No. no. <laughs> That sounds miserable. <laughs> yeah, it was miserable. And actually, in all honesty, we got we got smoked. Like we didn't even come close to finishing it. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of ice cream. Yeah, it was. It was. And like we were just all lying down, like on the floor, like just miserable. What do they call that thing? I can't remember. It's some goofy New Orleans related name. Uh, but anyway, yeah. And um, yeah, yeah, we did not even come close to eating the whole thing. So then we ended up just having like a hundred and fifty dollar bill or whatever it was at the ice cream shop for a bunch of ice cream we didn't finish. Right. So so their tactic cool. worked. Yeah, exactly. Right. Morons like me. Right. Oh, I want to get my name on the wall. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so the Big Five Dive is the uh, the uh, marine archaeological equivalent of trying to eat the... Yeah, I the, think so. The, yeah. yeah. Never again. Yeah. Or uh, <laughs> The Great Outdoors. This was a really bad movie in like oh, the late 80s movie. or early 90s. Maybe it was good. I don't know. Um, but they had to eat the big like 48 <laughs> yes. ounce steak. Yeah. Oh, that's a great yeah, anyway. scene because they show John Candy and he's like looking at the last bite. Yeah. And he. All right. Well, if uh, I'll put a link to that in the show. Notes. <laughs> <laughs>